0: Ponderings of the Preacher, Solomon, the great wise man, looked at life and he looked at it from so many different ideas. He wants us to be able to view life from a proper perspective. It's so easy for us to either look at it with rose-colored glasses, idealistic, and miss the reality of what life is really like. It's also possible for us to be cynical, to be uh, uh, depressed and look at life. And Solomon really takes both of those and just focuses them for us in a wonderful way of seeing his wisdom. He takes life and he makes the stark realities of it because, I mean, he just breaks it down and puts it in terms that you and I can appreciate and we can think about them. It's written from a first-person perspective. That is, Solomon would say, I have tried this, I tried that, and here's what I view life as being. Chapter 2 is about wealth. And he wants to talk about riches, he wants to talk about reflection, and he wants to talk about reality. But the truth is, is that riches really is a challenge for most people. For instance, it's not just the people who have wealth, but it's the problem that people want wealth and what they can do with it. When Paul wrote Timothy, he told him in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Too many people have allowed riches to be an attraction for them and have pulled them away from the Lord. And yet he also goes on to describe those people who actually do possess the wealth. He said in chapter 6 verses 17 through 19, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, let they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So he's talking about those who want to be rich and those who actually are rich. And Solomon allows us to see this directly and in terms that you and I can understand. So as I suggested, here's the way we're going to break the chapter down. Verses 4 through 11, he's going to talk about the riches that he had acquired and what he did with those riches. Then he's going to reflect on them in verses 12 through 23. What does that really mean that I've gotten these riches? What did they do for me? How did they help me? And then finally, those last three verses, 24 through 26, what's the reality that we have to conclude from this? Let's begin. Verse 1, I wanted to try it. I can't tell you how many people have said, you know what, I think I'm just going to try it and see how it works. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. He said, I tried it, I wanted to test it, and I found out it was vain. It wasn't worth anything. Well, what did he mean by that? Look what he says in verse 2. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? What does it bring about? Uh, If you start thinking in verses 4 through 7, he will begin to describe the riches that he had acquired. And um, this almost needs to be read slow. I read about five times this afternoon again so that I could just appreciate what Solomon said that he had done with these riches. I made my works great. I built myself houses. That's plural. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great, and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom re- remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold any from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was the reward for my, all my labor. Then I looked on all the works of my hands... Had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for wind. There was no profit under the sun. Now, I want you to think about what Solomon says that he did with his wealth. He said, I bought stuff, I built stuff. I acquired stuff. Now, you can say, well, the word stuff is a very generic term. So let's look and see what he did. It's just like people who win lotteries. You know what happened with people who win those lotteries? They go out and they spend all kinds of money on all kinds of things because they've gotten it. Those who inherit wealth. I could tell you some really interesting stories about people who have inherited wealth and what they did with it. In fact, I know of a very elderly couple who passed away just a few years ago. They didn't have any children. All they had was nieces and nephews. And this elderly couple had worked hard all their life. They have been penny pinchers. Everything they had, they were just so frugal with it. And then they left their money to their nieces and nephews, and they went out and bought matching town cars. I thought, they go out and they just blow the money those people have worked so hard for. And then there's those who make a lot of money, and what do they do with it? They buy stuff with it. Well, Solomon, if you'll look at what he says here, here's a summary of what all he said I got. He said, I got houses. I built houses. And I tried to emphasize the plurality of that. But when you say he built houses, in your mind you may think, well, he had a nice house here. and Maybe he had a nice house in a, a, a summer area. But do you know when you go to First Kings chapter 7 and chapter 9, he describes in detail the houses that he built. For just a minute, I'm not going to go through all of them like this, but Just think with me for just a moment. said in 1 Kings chapter 7, 1 and 2, Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all his house. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits. That's 150 feet long. Its width was 50 cubits. That's 75 feet wide. Its height was 30 cubits. That's 45 feet high. From the floor to the ceiling is exactly 23 feet in here. His ceiling was twice the height of this auditorium. With four rows of cedar pillars, cedar beams on the pillars. Look at verses 6 and 7. He also made a hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits. Its width was 30 cubits. And in front of them was a portico of pillars. And a canopy in front of them. Then he made a hall. For the throne, the hall of judgment, where he might judge. And he paneled it with cedar from floor to ceiling. Verses 9 through 11. All these were of costly stones cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out, from the foundations to the eaves, and also on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some ten cubits and some eight cubits. You think of the 10 cubits, that's 15 feet long, 12 feet long. Those are some big stones. And above were stones hewn to size and cedar wood. I could go on, but I think you start to get the picture. When Solomon built houses, he didn't build small dwellings, he built big, beautiful buildings. He said, I built myself houses. He said that I planted myself. Vineyards, gardens, and orchards and pools to water them. What kind of food did Solomon have? The absolute best of everything. If he's got all these gardens, all these groves, he's got all these trees, some for beauty, some for food. He said, I acquired servants, male and female. He says, the possessions that I had were of flocks, herds, gold, silver. Solomon had everything he could ever want as far as wealth was concerned. But not only did he do that, he said, I acquired male and female singers and musical instruments of all kinds. You know, today we invest a lot of money in buying music to be able to play while we're in our cars or maybe while we're doing other things. We buy recordings Solomon bought the singers. And he had live performances for him. That's how great of a wealth he had. He said, I've got more and had more than all who were before me. His claim to fame that he was the richest. It's just hard to imagine how much Solomon had. Bought anything that he wanted. Anything that he could think of. I acquired that. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Folks, that's why a lot of us live today too. Anything we want, we've got the money, we go buy it. That's what Solomon did. But then he comes to the question, was it worth it? Did it make him happy? And I will tell you that people will who have acquired so many things, will say, it doesn't really make me happy. Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on all the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for wind. I looked and I tried to see, is it worth anything? And the truth is, he said, it's vanity, it's empty, it has no meaning He said, it's just like grasping for the wind. It's elusive. You can't find the happiness there. There's no profit. There's no benefit from it. Solomon put it into perspective. But now, he's going to talk about reflection. You know, reflection is good. Maybe a person finishes their education, and they look back and they say, what did I learn? How is that going to help me in life? What is this going to prepare me for? Reflection is good. Sometimes when we reflect, we see the error of our ways. Sometimes when we reflect, we think, I did something pretty good there. Solomon's going to reflect on this, and he's going to ask, did I do it right? Did it have a lasting benefit? He's going to reflect on the quest for joy and riches. Let's look now at verses 12. Through 23. Then I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he's already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head. The fool walks in darkness. And I perceived in myself that the same event happens to them all. And so I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. Why am I then more wise? Then I said also in my heart, this is also vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. So all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does the wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life because of the work that was done under the sun. And it was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for wind. Then I hated all my labor which I had toiled under the sun. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool Yet he will rule over all the labor in which I have toiled and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is yet a man, or there is a man whose labor is with him, and knowledge and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all the labor and for the striving of his heart which he has toiled under the sun? For all of his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. For just a few minutes, I want you to consider what Solomon said in this section. He's going to evaluate wealth and how he enjoyed it. First of all, he's going to say in verse 12, what am I going to do that has not been done before? The man that follows after me can't do anything but what I've already done, and I did just what the man before me did. You know, once you look at your life and you start realizing, what did my father do? He worked all of his life. He tried to acquire something. He left it to us. What happens to me? I'm going to work all my life. I'm going to acquire something. and I'm going to leave it to those who are going to come after me. We're not going to take one penny of it with us. We're not going to take one house with us. We're not going to take any of this gold, any of this silver. Solomon says, you look and see, I can't do anything more than what anybody else has done. And then he makes a stark and almost depressing statement. Wealth with worldly wisdom ends the same way for a fool as for a wise man. In other words, if you die with a Ph.D. or if you die with a second grade education, you still die. And in that sense, the wise man is no better than the fool so he said, it prompted hatred of life and labor. Why do you have to leave it to somebody else? Solomon's going to come back on that in just a moment now. Why do I have to leave it all to someone else? In the end, everything is left to one who didn't work for it. The work brought only sorrow and burdens and gave no rest. You work all your life, you try to acquire something, you try to put it together And you don't know the person you're going to leave it to how they're going to handle it. You can say, oh, well, I'm going to leave my my children and my children are going to use it wisely. You don't know what they're going to do once you leave it to them. Solomon looks at this and he says, this is striving after wind. Now, what this does, this brought Solomon to reality just like it brings us. Because what you have to do it starts being a little bit cynical with regards to wealth and to what a person acquires. But what it also does is help you to put it in proper perspective. Because if you realize that some of this is is not worth anything, then you start stepping back and say, well, what should I be doing? Let's look at verses 24 through 26. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. He said there's nothing better than, or this is the best you can do, than to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Sometimes, We deny ourselves the enjoyment of what God has given us to leave it for someone else who will enjoy it, and we didn't get the privilege of it. Solomon said, so here's what I look. This is God's gift. You go out, you sow, you reap, and what you get, you enjoy. God gave it to you for that reason. Sometimes we feel that we shouldn't enjoy the fruit of our labor. But Solomon said, that's God's gift to us. You go out and you plant a garden and you bring in the fruits of that garden. You enjoy it. That's the way God intended for it to be. You go out, you work hard, you, you build your house. You enjoy that house. God gave that to you. But you better enjoy it now. Because if you don't enjoy it now, there's not going to be a future. Now, he says, who could do that more than I? There's a, I will tell you, there's a textual variant here. And what that means is, is that in the original text, it could be said this or it could be said that way. And the textual variant is who could enjoy this apart from Him, which I believe is the correct one. Who could enjoy all of this without taking God into the picture? Because he's going to turn and talk about... The sinner and the person who's serving God and who can enjoy the benefits of their labor more than a child of God than to say, look what God has given me. Look how God has blessed me. So he contrasts the perspective from the good man and from the sinner. Who can really benefit from this? And so God has designed it so the good are the ones who are enjoying what he has planned for man. Now, here's where you you step back and you say, maybe Solomon was not as cynical as we thought. Maybe Solomon, when he's talking about all his vanity and grasping for wind, that he's saying there's no, no pleasure, no benefit in all of this. Money can't buy everything. And if you look at it and you start saying, money is what I I can uh, uh, have power with. It's enduring. No, it's not. Money doesn't last. Remember what Jesus said? And he said that uh, where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, money doesn't last. Money was meant to be used provide things to enjoy and that's a part of God's plan and God's design but there's definitely a difference between the good and the bad and what they do with what God has blessed them with I'd suggest to you if you start going through the Bible and you start reading about the the ones who have been blessed with a lot you come away with two different categories of people you come away with people who are like Abraham. Very rich, cattle, gold and silver. What did he do? He shared. He provided. You find men like Job who was the greatest of the East. What did he do? He gave. He helped. But you find others who were greedy and who wanted to just acquire things to themselves And they found out that that didn't bring them any joy, any pleasure. And Solomon said, I looked at it and I thought, well, when I build all these houses, I'll be happy with them and have all these gardens and everything. He says, that wasn't really what brought me happiness. In fact, I suggest to you, keep reading to the end of the book when you get to the final chapter and the final idea. And he says, now, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. You see, as Solomon is trying to look at life and he's trying to say, yes, this is good. It can be misused. It can be used badly. But he says, when you get down to the bottom line, fearing God and keeping His commandments, that's what counts. If you'll now take your psalm books out, we're going to sing number 23. And for those of you who are not children of God, what a great privilege we have This evening, that you can be able to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him and being baptized. What a privilege that will provide for you and your life being a child of God and the eternity that is held forth for you. If you are a Christian and you are looking at your life and you realize I made the wrong choices... I realize sin's in my life. I want to make it right with God. You have the privilege at this time that we can pray together for your sin and that God will restore you. Would you come as together we stand and sing?